Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning. My name is Joel, and welcome to Three Creeks. I get to be the pastor here, and we are officially crossing the finish line today, uh, finishing the book of 1 Peter. And when we started this series, I told you that, man, I've been looking forward to, to getting through 1 Peter for the whole life of our church, I guess four years or more. And it's been, it's been great. You know, this whole, uh, this whole book, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, maybe his closest friend, and uh, I can relate because he talks before he thinks. And he is just this kind of bumbling idiot for a while. And then God just rescues him and forgives him. And he lives this impactful life and shares with us First Peter and Second Peter, by the way. Maybe we'll get there one of these days. But we named the, the, the series, There is Hope. And we named it that because I talked to a lot of people who don't feel like they have a lot of that who have a lot of hope. They read the news or watch the news or get on social media or just experience life in general. You go, man, this just does not feel like it's going in the right direction. If I feel hopeless, not hopeful about what's to come. And Peter writes to these Christians 2,000 years ago, but uh, man, we can just read it and just apply it right to our lives too. There is hope. And the reason why there is hope is because as a Christian, we know who wins in the end. Did anybody uh, back in their junior high and high school days, perhaps, watch the show 24? Anybody ever seen 24? Jack Bauer, man. Jack Bauer was unbelievable. He's like, he's like better than Chuck Norris, in my honest opinion. I know that there's some people that are going to leave the church over that. <laughs> but Jack Bauer, man, he had his day because Jack Bauer would get in these situations, man, where you're like, how is this guy going to get out of this? You know, every episode was supposed to be about... 24 hours long, right? And it would come on every, I don't know which night it was, Monday or Tuesday night, and it was, it was 24, and you're like, what's going to happen next in the story? And, and the odds were always stacked against Jack, right? Like he, the ambassador's daughter is kidnapped, and she's in a compound with 100 terrorists guarding her, and Jack's outside like on his radio like, hey, I got to go in and get her. And they're like, Jack, don't go in yet. We're coming for support. We'll be there in three minutes. And he's like, I don't have three minutes. And you're like, Jack, don't go. And he reaches down. His gun got lost. So he reaches in his pocket. He pulls out like a sharpened pencil. He's like, I'm going in. This'll do. And he goes in. And, and you know, we're just watching. We're on the edge of our seat. Our heart is racing. We're sweating in our armpits. We're like, what's going to happen to Jack? And then it dawns on us right in that moment. This is season two. There's nine seasons of 24. Nine seasons. And so all of a sudden my heart rate just goes down because I'm like, I think Jack's going to be all right. I don't think this show lasts without Jack Bauer. And in some ways, you guys, First Peter is kind of like that moment when you realize that this isn't the end. It's that moment when you realize, oh, there's going to be another season. There's going to be season three and four. There's, there's, there's more ahead and everything. If you zoom out, everything is going to be okay because Peter writes chapter one, verse three, praise be to God the Father. He's given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's going to be okay. He came back to life. And not only did he come back to life, but it's possible for you now to have life, which will be your inheritance that Peter says will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so what Peter's saying is that no matter what comes at us, and no matter what came at the people who he was writing the letter to originally, there's another season that's coming. And so Peter writes, goes, this is how to endure. This is how to thrive in the season that you're in. But always keep in mind that there's another season coming. And as a Christian, we know that that season that is coming is heaven and eternity with God. Perfect, sin-free paradise. And so because of that, with that perspective in mind, I can go through this life with hope. There is hope. It's not all hopeless. There is hope. So Peter writes the end of this uh, letter, and he talks about hope, and he talks about grace, and he talks about love, and he talks about peace. Right at the end, just in what Bethany just read in the last six or seven verses of the chapter, he touches on all four of those things, and that is what a heart longs for. He touches on hope, on grace, on love, and on peace. Right at the end, of this letter to these Christians that have been scattered and that were facing persecution. And he writes about those things because he knows and the thing, and it hasn't changed. That is what a heart longs for. That is what you and I want. At the beginning of the series, I asked the question, what do you want? Where does your hope lie? And no matter what you said, I could drill down a little further and be like, yeah, but what, I think what you really want, because you think that that will provide you peace. What you actually want is peace. You don't want that house. What a heart longs for is hope and grace and love and peace and says, and Peter goes, it's only found in a relationship with God. Don't look for it other places. If I said to you that right around this corner, there was an unlimited free stash of hope, of grace, of love and of peace, there would be a line longer than the communion line to get up, get back there and get some of that. And and Peter writes, like, this is what is at hand. This is what is available to you. Those four things are available to the Christian. However, Peter warns us at the end. He He doesn't mince words. However, there is somebody who will do everything that they possibly can all the days of your life to take all of those away from you. There is somebody who will try to make you feel hopeless at all times. There is somebody who will try to come in and not make you feel like the grace of God is on your life. They're going to make you try to feel guilty and shameful for all of your life. And there is somebody that will come in and rather than having love and meaningful relationships in your life, he's going to try to create division, strife, and unreconciled relationships so that you just have a track record of pain and hurt. That is his mission. Somebody's trying to do this to you. And peace, forget about it. You can't have peace. This is what this person is trying to usher into your life. Anxiousness and worry and fear, that's what the enemy wants. And so Peter goes at the end of the letter, if I've got one, if I've got six verses left, if I still have your attention, listen to me. Hope and grace and peace and love are at hand and God wants to give them to you and you've got an enemy who wants to take you away from them. And and it's not how he pitches it. He's sneakier than that. He's far more deceptive than that. 
but he figures out a way to weasel his way into our life. And his mission is to destroy us. Look at, uh, look at these verses. Uh, Peter writes, In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, after you have lived your earthly life, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. There is hope. That's what's coming. Jess, go to that one that says, that underlines, will himself restore you. There, you see the hope. And then he writes, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly. Silas was Peter's right-hand man. He was a, a scribe. So in, in theory, Peter would have been, you know, being carried along by the Holy Spirit of God to say this. And Silas would have been the hand that, that wrote it down. And he's a faithful brother. He writes to him briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is the grace of God. And then, he, and then he writes, she who is in Babylon, which Babylon here is the, a term that almost just describes the center of worldliness. So it's actually not talking about Babylon, the city. It's talking about the city of Rome. It's kind of the new Babylon, if you will. She who is in Babylon, the, she who is in Rome, chosen together with you. He's talking about the church in Rome. That's where Peter's at when he wrote this. Sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark spiritual son Mark. Mark actually wrote the book of Mark in the New Testament, and he also was on Peter's traveling church squad. He goes, greet one another with a kiss of love. So you don't take everything literally in the Bible. You got to translate it a little bit. Greet one another with a kiss of love. He's going, listen, among the church, this isn't the only time he writes about love. In, first, in chapter 1, he says, Church, love one another deeply from your hearts. Have sincere love for one another. Love that works itself out in service and humility towards one another. Love one another deeply. Have meaningful relationships. Don't be alone. Love each other. And he says, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So you see, just in a couple verses, you see hope, you see grace, you see love, and you see peace. And God's going, this is the life that I want to give to you. And then Peter's got to be like, but listen, somebody's going to try to take all this away. In the end of this letter and in the end of our series, Peter wants to know, wants us to know, that someone's going to try to do everything they can to take them all away. to take away the things that our hearts long for. And he, he writes, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let me read it again. Your enemy, and this isn't symbolic. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this is important. You're going to think that the rest of this message is about Satan, but I need you to understand that the rest of this message is about God. And it's about the character of God and the care of God and the protection and the love and the grace of God. And it's about, this message is about the enemy's attempt to distort the character of God and make you think that it's something else. And we're not giving Satan that much airtime at Three Creeks Church. We're not going to 
go home and find, find, go on some YouTube rabbit trail and come up with all these conspiracy theories about the devil. And, and we're not going to go nuts about it. We're not going to be, but we're, we're not going to be fearful of it, but we're also not going to be unaware of it. I've got to talk to you this morning about God and his character and his, his love for you and his desire to give you a full life. But we've got to talk about the enemy who wants to come in and try to distort the perfect character and nature of God. Only 60% of Christians believe that Satan is real. I don't know what the other 40% think because there's a hundred verses in the Bible or more that describe Satan, the devil, the enemy as a real being, as a real person, an enemy that is after us. Satan is thrilled at the 40% who don't think that he exists. He's like carbon monoxide. He's not trying to get up in your face and, and dangle evil things in front of you. He's trying to take the good things that God made and twist them and get you to love them and get you to give your whole life to them. And he can take that hope and that peace and that love and that grace right out of your life because you love things that aren't God. And you're trying to find what only God can give in other places. Satan is thrilled that only 60% of us can acknowledge that he's reeled. He's a lurker, he's deceptive, and he would love it if we would believe that he does not exist because he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you know that it's him that destroyed your life. He wants you to think that it's you that you destroyed your life. He wants to heap that guilt and that shame on you even more. He wants you to think that it was your decision. He doesn't want you to know that he's real. He wants to lurk in the shadows and he wants to ruin your life. Peter is warning us that someone is trying to steal our lives. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let it be no secret about what's coming and who it's coming from. He hates you. He lies to you and he's going to appeal to your flesh. He will appeal to your eyes. He will appeal to your pride and he will never stop. He will never stop. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. The Bible calls him in other places a snake, in other places a wolf, in other places a dragon, in other places a bird that eats the good seed that's trying to be deposited in you. And here we see Peter describe him as a lion. When a lion hunts, he does not just waltz down the Sahara telling all the animals that he's on the prowl. He's in the, the thick grass. Nobody knows he's coming. A, a big group of zebras. Does anybody know what a group of zebras is called? I would be amazed if you knew this. It is called a dazzle. So imagine this big old dazzle of zebras. Hundreds of them, maybe a thousand of them. Do you know how the dazzle of zebras protects itself from lions? If one, if one of the zebras senses danger, if one of the zebras senses that their lives are at stake, that someone is after them, that there's a lion in the grass, then the zebra 
You should Google this, actually. YouTube this one. It make, they make this high-pitched, awkward, <laughs> it's like a monkey. It's crazy. And immediately, immediately, all of the zebra's heads pop up. And they look at the, per- they look at the zebra that's squealing, that's going nuts. It seems like overkill, maybe. And they hightail out of there as quick as they possibly can and all of their lives are saved because one person was willing to say there is danger. And so I hope you're tracking with me. I'm that zebra today and you are my dazzle. (laughs) And I just love this church and I love us so much to say, hey, there's a lion and he's trying to destroy your life and he would be thrilled if you do not think that he's coming for you. That would be his first mission to numb you into thinking that, oh, he hasn't been around lately. He's probably attacking someone else. He would be thrilled with this. There's three lies that Satan, the lion, the snake, the wolf, the dragon, There's three lies that he feeds us over and over and over. So for the rest of your life, you can expect to hear all three of these. The first one is this, that that obedience is pointless. That obedience is pointless. Why would you want to listen to God? He's just out to impose rules on you. And by the way, it's just a bunch of guys that are trying to impose rules on you. God didn't even say this. Obedience is pointless. Follow God. Do what he says, and you will be miserable, you will be oppressed, and you will be bored. Obedience is pointless. It's not worth it. It's too hard, and it doesn't make a difference. Obedience is pointless. The second one is that disobedience is really fun. Disobedience is really fun, and the reason God doesn't want you to have any fun is because he's a jerk or he doesn't care about you. He does not have your best interests in mind. The good stuff is out there. You just got to go and find it. It's really, really fun. Obedience is pointless. Disobedience is fun. And the third one is that judgment isn't really that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. For one, we've been waiting around for what? 2,000 years for Jesus to come back. And that whole story might not even be true anyways. The judgment of God is not that big of a deal. Everyone else that seems to be having a good time doesn't seem to be facing a ton of consequences. It's not that big of a deal. Obedience is pointless. Disobedience is fun. Judgment isn't that big of a deal. And the Bible just over and over and over and over tries to get you to understand that none of those are true. That obedience is love, that obedience is following Jesus, that disobedience is sin, and it grieves the heart of God, and it doesn't lead to life, it leads to death, and that judgment is a big deal. It's a big deal, and you can try to say that it's not, and you can try to imagine living till 80, but you might not. Judgment is a big deal, and, and, and when Satan lies in all three of these ways, if you, if you look deeper into it, he's trying to distort the character of God. He's saying that the love of God isn't real, and the care of God isn't real, and the protection of God isn't real. God does not want what's best for you. God does not care about you. So you see, Satan, when he, when he feeds us these lies, when we begin to believe them, 
We are actually changing what we believe about God. That he couldn't possibly want the full life for us. He's trying to keep us from the good stuff. And that's just not true. It's just not true. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what do we do? Do we build a bomb shelter? Do we just stick with one another? What do we do? How do we do this? Peter tells us in verse 8, he says, be alert and of sober mind. And in verse 9, he says, resist him. A lot of times uh, when, when you hear, when you, when you read about sin or temptation or your sinful nature in the New Testament, a lot of times the, some of the language is flee from that temptation. Flee from immorality. Free, flee from the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Run away. And Peter, in an interesting twist here, says, rather than run away, be alert, be sober-minded, and resist. Fight back a little bit. And in my mind, I have this picture, and I, I'm going to try to help, help us all understand the human experience of temptation and the devil and how they work hand in hand. In my mind, I have this picture of a, like a boxing match where it's you against the enemy. It's you against sin. It's you against everything that is against God. And there's two gloves, if you will, that the enemy has to throw at you. Number one, the first, the first glove is just the sinful nature that you and I were born with. Just the incessant desire to rebel against God, basically at all times in some way, shape, or form. So it's pride and it's selfishness and it's lust and it's just always come at you. But there's another fist. And the other fist is Satan himself who comes on when you don't expect it and it just makes the fight twice as harder. And the way that it works itself out in our lives and maybe this helps us live godly lives is that at all times we've got a sinful nature. For example, at all times I am tempted to lust. At all times, I am tempted to be selfish. I'm tempted to be prideful. It's, it's constant. It's every day. But there are times when all three of those have, have some fuel added to the fire. And Satan comes in and just tries to double down on that one temptation that seems to have perhaps got a grip in my life. And the reason that I, I have this picture of this boxing match in my life is to understand that, that one is this constant, but Satan, the devil, prowls like a lion trying to devour you. He will come in and he will add fuel to the fire. It's, it's, it's constant, this desire for me to lust. It, it's, it's, I don't even know when it happens because it just happens so much, this, this temptation to think that way. But every once in a while, it comes on stronger and it comes on in the form, it's like, man, I got to get out of here. I got to tell my friends about this. I, this is not good. I feel like I'm actually in danger right now. And that is Satan doubling down and seeing if he can devour me, seeing if he can get a grip in my life. And, and, and he's saying, Peter's saying, this is a fight, man. You can try to flee from Satan, but on this earth, he will just kind of always come at you. He will always come at you. And so this is a fight. He's saying, Peter's saying, fight back, obey God, trust God, believe in God, believe in the character of God. 
Don't give in. Surround yourself with people who can speak truth to your life. Place value and prioritize being at church with your church family. Hide the Bible in your heart. Slow your life down enough to pray. Tell your kids about Jesus. Put your hope in Christ. Essentially, just trust in that character of God. That he loves you, he cares about you, he wants to protect you. And the hope, the peace, the grace, and the love, it comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. You can't find it in other places. I want to finish the whole series with a... uh, a final word of warning, and I don't know, I guess it, it might seem harsh, but it seems like the topic demands some harshness, like the stakes are high if we don't get this. Uh, so about a week ago, Morgan and I were out in our backyard. She was cleaning out her spring gardens and we stumbled upon a nest of baby rabbits. Five little babies in there, all furry and cuddly and cute. And I said, Morgan, we gotta have them as pets. We've gotta adopt them into the family. <laughs> so I ran into my breezeway and I set up this like little rabbit shack. <laughs> and, uh, and I just picked them up and put them in there. I was on petco.com in like three minutes ordering like baby goat milk or something that we had to feed them and a little syringe thingy. And, more, and then Morgan goes, hey, you're traveling for three days starting tomorrow. It's like, well, you're going to have to take care of them. And, and, uh, and so she convinced me not to. So I looked it up. I Googled it. Can, will, will a rabbit's mother reject the babies? The answer is no, even though they had my scent on them a little bit. So we went and we put them back into the, uh, into the, where they were. And uh, Morgan's like, why were you so excited about that? I said, Morgan, this is my whole childhood experience. I, I grew up in Africa as a missionary kid, and we had a new pet like every month. And the, all the people knew that if, they, I, I know this now, but as a kid, I didn't know this, but the African people would go out and they would hunt and they would kill the mom or the dad to eat. And then they're like, and we can make money off the baby because the missionary kids will buy it. So they would bring it up to our station and whatever it was, we're like, yes, pay them. This is our pet. So we had a gazelle named Flicker. We had a warthog named Josephine. We had a porcupine named Spike, my favorite. Uh, We had some civet cats. Don't know if you know what a civet cat is. Dink and Donk. I mean, this was my whole childhood experience. I loved it. We would, we would raise as best we could <laughs> as many pets as possible. But I remember as a kid, the one pet I wanted the most, I would have killed for a baby lion cub, you know? Oh man, if I could just have a baby lion cub, I would name him Simba. We would be friends. We would cuddle. You would be amazed, you know? I'd have him on a leash and walk him around and people would just be like, whoa. He's got a lion cub. Like, that would just be unbelievable. What's the problem here with this idea? How long do I want to keep this lion? How long do I want to feed this lion? Because the consequences, the stakes are high with a lion cub. Because at first, a lion cub is very manageable, and it's cute, and it just doesn't even feel like that big of a deal. And it can actually appear to be impressive to other people. Sin, at first, can actually appear to be impressive too. 
And sin often starts very manageable, under control, on a leash, not a big deal. Not a big deal. How long do you want to feed it? How long do you want to keep it? Because the problem with having a lion cub is that at some point it grows up and then you no longer choose when it wants to eat. At the beginning, it can feel as if it is under control. But the tables do turn at some point. You become attached to this lion. It's just like sin. And this is going to seem so harsh. But I hope that you get what I'm trying to say. Is that it's important to acknowledge that that would be difficult to maintain over a long period of time. And at the, at, at the end of that story would be the lion choosing when it wants to eat you. And so we have to actually, and that seems harsh, we have to actually shoot the lion between the eyes before it gets traction and before we become addicted to it and before it gets a little bit beyond our control. We have to shoot it while it feels manageable. And so, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's extreme, but it's, it's, it's so important that, I'll just give you an example. For me, Instagram is not a great place for me. The search feature is not a great place for me. And it feels manageable, and it feels small, and it feels under control. But I cannot risk that growing in me. I cannot risk continuing to put myself in these places where all of a sudden, then it will be out of control. And so me confessing that and deleting Instagram is a way of me going like, I'm going to shoot that lion between the eyes. And if there's any whispering going on in your head right now where you've had this recent experience, like that kind of makes me nervous, and you go, yeah, but that's not that big of a deal. That is exactly what this lion who's trying to devour you wants you to think. It was just a text. It was just one picture. It was just one time. We only went there once. If that is the rationale for keeping this, for not confessing that, for not making, making moves to get rid of that. If that is the rationale, that it's manageable, that it's not a big deal, then I just, I have to, I have to zebra right now. I have to make the noise and, and, and I'm not going to do it. I have, to, I have to say, hey, guys, there's a lion who is seeking to devour us and he's not going to waltz through the Sahara saying, I'm trying to eat you. He's in the grass and he doesn't want you to know that he's there. And if, if you do know that he's there, he doesn't want you to think he's that big of a deal. He's trying to destroy your life. And so what does it look like for you to shoot the lion between the eyes and say, I'm not messing around with that. I'm not going to mess around with it. I had a mentor share with me something that I, I feel led to pass on to you. He said, if you're ever in a room of people and you're talking about sin and you're talking about the devil and you're talking about making moves, 
then whatever God is telling you now, you should do that. Don't let yourself spend an hour rationalizing why you don't need to do what God is asking you to do. He said, if you hesitate, you lose. Don't hesitate. Whatever God is putting on your heart right now, that is what you should do. Don't wait until Wednesday. Go and just do it. Make the move. If you hesitate, you lose. And the lion just grows. He doesn't get smaller. He just grows. Don't hesitate. Make the move. Because like Peter told us through the whole book, that hope and grace and peace and love are at hand, and you can't find them anywhere else other than in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't look for it in other places. Be aware. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Don't be numb. He's after you. He's trying to destroy you. But God will protect you, but only if you're willing to be obedient. Only if you're willing to call sin, sin. Only if you're willing to confess it. God will forgive you for all of it, but you got to be willing to shoot it and get rid of it and say, I can't handle this in the long run. I got to get this out of my life. The band is going to come and we're going to sing a song called You Reign Above It All. And I think it's been my favorite song of the last year that we've been able to be as a church. I just love singing it. Think about this. When we are going to say, when we are going to sing You reign above it all. You reign above it all. That includes every crevice of your life. That includes every single aspect of your life. And so when we sing it, let's mean it. And let's let's just ask God, God, come in and permeate all of it. Some of the stuff that we're talking about, uh, some of the sin that's in us, even right now, we are unaware of it. So God, would you let us see it? Would you help us recognize the attacks of the devil in my life? Would you help me to take the steps to confess it and get rid of it? He reigns above it all, which means that he reigns above every crevice of our life. As always, there will be a prayer team back there and we'll leave the lights on so you can see who they are. Let me pray for us and ask God to not let go if he grabbed us. Father, if you have made your way into our minds and into our hearts today through your word, I pray, Father, that you would not let go, that you would make us sweat, that you would make us feel uncomfortable until we obey that you would not let us shake it, that you would keep it on our minds. Father, would you not let us even leave this room if we're supposed to be obedient in this room? Father, you reign above it all. It's not as though you don't know everything. You know even more than we do. You know more about my sin and my life than I do about my sin and my life. And so, God, I pray that you would come into my life and into the lives of these people in our church, that you would expose it, 
that we would confess it and that you would forgive it. And that you would help us to be great zebras to one another. Lord, would you prevent us from being friends who don't say something? Spare us from friendships, Father, or I guess the idea or the, the appearance of a friendship. Spare us from those so that we can, if we see danger, we say it. God, would you help us to be a church that loves one another deeply in that way? Father, we, we just give this whole song to you. We give this service to you and ask that you would do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.